Today we're looking at Revelation chapter 17, picking up in verse 7, going down through verse 18, concluding the chapter. We get through this study today, and we only have five chapters left in the book of Revelation. Now, I'll tell you up front, this is prophecy that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to John about the events of the last days. And although the picture of this prophecy is becoming clearer and clearer, I will tell you that I do not have all the answers, but I have studied and also have my own opinions. I'll I'll bring some of that into this message today. But we see that what is being talked about, especially here in Revelation chapter 17, where they talk about the coming one world leader, a one world religion, a one world government. And we kind of see that happening in our world today where things are coming together in such a way that there are those, and we'll look at a couple of quotes that I'll have about those who would really like to see the whole world being governed by a select group of people and their opinion about how that would look. And I tell you, when I get to one of the quotes, they're talking about nine years from now, which is really mind-blowing. They're talking about taking 196 nations and bring them under one authority. And when I get to one of those quotes, it'll blow your mind, but they're saying in 2030, we would like to see this. In fact, you probably heard, and I found the source of the quote, you've probably heard it over the last few weeks, that they are saying that by 2030, we will own nothing but we'll be happy. In nine years. Here, I do the math. This finger doesn't work as well, but I'll try to get it up there. (laughs) Got crushed by a hammer, so I'll have to learn how to do four again in a different way on my left hand. So pretty, pretty incredible. Some commentators believe that John may have marveled, and we learned this last week, that John marveled after seeing the woman on the beast, and we looked at this in verses 1 through 6 of Revelation chapter 17. And some commentators believe that he may have marveled because he saw this woman on the beast having a connection with the apostate church in the last days And if so, John may have not been able to believe his own eyes of what he was seeing, how a church would turn on its own people and become drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ. And sadly, in church history, we know that this has been the case often. In Matthew 24, 24, it should not surprise us because Jesus said, for false Christ... And false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders and deceive, if possible, even the elect. The elect referring to believers in Jesus Christ. Going back to the 1400s, we find on July 6 and 1415 that John Huss was given the opportunity to recant before the church. But he refused to do so. After refusing, he was taken to the cathedral, he was stripped, he was led to the courtyard, he was tied to a stake, he was given one last chance to renounce his beliefs, and John Huss responded by saying, Lord Jesus, it is for thee that I patiently endure this cruel death, and I pray thee 
to have mercy on my enemies. One of the followers of Huss, when he was watching these events take place, he witnessed the execution. He wrote that Huss sang psalms while being engulfed in flames. A hundred years later, or about a hundred years later, in the early days of Martin Luther, he was rummaging through the stacks of manuscripts in the library, happened upon a volume of sermons by John Huss. And he wrote this, I was overwhelmed with astonishment. I could not understand for what cause they had burnt so great a man who explained the scriptures with so much gravity and skill. We know historically that the church has turned on its own. Of course, we understand that the church that turns on its own, turns against true believers in Jesus Christ. One, there are many who are not truly believers in Jesus Christ who are doing this. Others are just simply deceived by the ways of this world and those who are teaching them. John 15, 20 says, Remember the words that I said to you. Again, Jesus said, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, will they not also persecute you? If they keep my words, they will keep also yours. So we learn in this passage, and it begins by saying, But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you a mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. So Jesus asked, John, why did you marvel? I'll tell you this mystery. And yet so often we marvel at the things that take place in this world. And I believe often that we mistakenly marvel over things. We have amazement over events and things that are happening in our world. And when I look at the last year and a half plus, I see it lining up just as Scripture testified that it would in the last days. So at times I may marvel with amazement at the wicked heart of humanity and the cruel things that we do as we prayed in our opening of some horrific act that took place in our community just on the other side of the county in Zion last Sunday. I marvel at events like that because of the hardness of heart the cruelty of mankind, and the dullness of heart. In fact, it goes perfectly again with Scripture where the Word of God tells us that in the last days that hearts will be seared, seared as with a hot iron. And if you have known, I got a, uh, I leaned into a piece of hot steel on a job once. I should have known better. I was a brick mason working up in the, the rafters, a uh, roof going on, and the welder just walked away from it. I should have known better to stay away from the hot steel that he was welding on, but I leaned into it, and uh, I have a scar that is there to this day. And that happened when I was in my 20s. I'm still scarred. I'll always have carry that scar with me. We do it as well. We see something in the oven. Maybe it's burning. Maybe there's urgency, and we forget to get the pot holder. And we should know better. 
But the moment you touch that pen, you know better. And you're reminded for a day or two of just what you had done. But if you keep going after things like that, your senses become dulled. In our world, we find senses have become dulled. It's a shame, but it's happening. So he said in verse 8, The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. So we find in Revelation 1.8 that the Lord Jesus said, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty, Revelation 1.8. And while Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, Satan is a created angelic being who fell from his form of position, and God gave him a great position according to the Word of God. He was called in the Bible the anointed cherub that stood in the presence of God. Yet one day, he will come out of the bottomless pit. And we'll look at that term later on in the study, the bottomless pit. One day he'll come out of the bottomless pit for one last attempt to come against God and his people. And afterwards, the word of God says that he will go into perdition. And so Satan, who was, according to the word of God, is not and yet is, It is written in the Word of God that His end will come. Satan comes to deceive, as does his false apostles, his false workers. As the Bible tells us, Paul writing in 2 Corinthians 11, 13-15, saying, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their own works. That's true for Satan. It's true for anyone who follows Satan. Their end will be according to their own works. But this beast, the beast, referring to Satan, we learned this back in Revelation chapter 13, He will come out of the bottomless pit. The abuso, the abuso in the Greek language, the abyss, uh, in the Greek it means an extremely deep place. And it only occurs twice outside of the book of Revelation. It speaks about the abode of the dead in Romans 10, 7, the prison for the evil spirits in Luke 8, 31, And then the Greek word abuso, we find it only outside of Romans 10, 7, and Luke 8, 31, always in the book of Revelation. It's a prison in which the evil powers are confined and some being confined to this very day. But in the last days, the scripture is saying that they'll be released. In fact, we'll read a passage today that speaks about um, one hour. They'll have their moments. We might call it Uh, someone who gets on television, they had their 10 minutes of fame. You know, we in our culture might get that 10 minutes of fame. 
so will Satan and the angels who followed him, who fell in the rebellion, have become the demons. In fact, Jude 6 says, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. Judgment is coming. It has not yet come. But the beast will come out of the abuso and he will go into perdition. He'll come out. He'll be out for a short period of time and then God will send him to perdition. It, in the Greek, speaks about a perishing, a destruction, a ruin. And it speaks about eternal, her loss, uh, a son going into perdition, speaking about the loss of eternal life. Second Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4 says, Let no one deceive you, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So there the Antichrist, that John coined that title in 1 John, the Antichrist, here called the son of perdition in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, that he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, and that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So even now, Paul, writing in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4, speaks of a future event that has not yet happened. In no time has the Antichrist sat in the temple of God in Jerusalem. In fact, right now, there is no temple. It's an impossibility until a temple is built. Now, there is a temple institute that was founded well over, I believe, 30 years ago that they have prepared everything needed to build a temple in Jerusalem. In fact, at the end of the Trump administration and the the peace that was beginning to be signed, the Abraham Accords, we were learning and hearing from some of the Arab nations saying that we don't have a problem with the Israelites having a temple in Jerusalem. Now, of course, this isn't the feeling of most Arabs, but there were some, the tide is beginning to turn, saying that we don't have a problem if you build a temple. In fact, they went to the extent of not only having the priestly garments, all the instruments needed to worship in the temple, the menorah. Um, some say that they even know where the Ark of the Covenant is actually at and where it's hidden. But that given permission that worship at the temple could begin rather quickly. One day, Satan will come and declare himself to be God, sit in the temple of God as God, and the world itself will be deceived. Unbelievers then will marvel, it tells us. The unbelievers will marvel at the beast, the Antichrist, because they will be drawn into his lies, having never by faith received Jesus into their hearts. In Revelation 13.3 it tells us, and I saw one of the heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. In fact, we learned about this in Revelation 13, that Bible prophesies assassination and or an assassination attempt against the Antichrist 
Um, he will either die or appear to die and resurrect back to life. And the world will be caught in amazement. They will follow the Antichrist, the false shepherd, the false Christ. But the Bible tells us that John should not have marveled. As he did in verse 6, the Bible tells us that John marveled when he saw this woman sitting on the beast. But John should not have marveled because in verse 8 it tells us of Revelation 13, 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose name have not been written in the book of life, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. John's name had been written in the lamb's book of life. Therefore, he need not marvel at the things that the Lord was showing him in the sense that his salvation was secure. Having accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, our names having been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, this is because God, knowing all things, knew from the beginning those who would be saved as seen in Scripture. I would like you to turn. I don't make you do this too often. But I would like you to turn to Romans 8, verses 29 and 30. And if you have the courage to write in your Bible, <laughs> my Bible is all written up. If you have the courage to write in over, find a little spot and just write in five golden links. Next to Romans 8, 29 through 30. And there's five things that Paul gives to us here. Five golden links, they're called. A golden chain of our faith where it says, and we'll go through it twice, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of the Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. Whom he justified, he also glorified. So the five golden links, those whom God foreknew, those whom God predestined, those whom God called, those whom God justified, those whom God also glorified. The five golden links of our salvation that God knows. John's name have been written in the Lamb's book of life. And those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life, we need not marvel at the things of this earth. As it says in verse 8, those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose name have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. So right now, we find in our world that a lot of people are marveling over a lot of crazy things that are taking place. And some to me seem very blinded by a select few. As I said, there are those who want to have this one world government. They are actually talking about 2030, only nine years from now. They're talking about a great global reset. And some are thinking that this last year and a half with the COVID virus, that this is the time to do the reset. Now, I may not like the things that I, are taking place in our world. I, as a grandfather, especially, don't want to see the last days of what is prophesied in Scripture leading up to that time. 
to see our children, our grandchildren have to go through things that maybe I'll be around for. I'm, I'm an old man, but I might still have some time here left on this earth. But I shouldn't necessarily marvel over everything. And I think that's what's helped me over the last year and a half because I placed my confidence, my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and not in man. And I believe that if God can create this world, sustain this world, that he can also sustain me in this world as long as he would have me to be here. So this mystery has been revealed in order that we should not be deceived. That's why prophecy has been given to us in Scripture. The mystery has been revealed to us in order that we should not be deceived. Sadly, many in the church today, because there have been a lacking in the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, they are deceived. We need not be deceived. In verses 9 through 13, we learn of a beast, mountains, and kings. Seven mountains in verse 9, it says, Here is the mine which has wisdom. Seven heads are on seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now, many have identified this as Rome. For centuries, Rome has been known as the city of seven hills. But there's also other cities um, in the world that are described as the city, a city of seven hills. Jerusalem actually has been identified this as well. There's a, a city in the United States that is identified as a city of seven hills. So it's not necessarily looking to Rome, the woman sitting on the mountains, but many have looked to Rome as the description of this location. Some believe that the seven mountains refer to seven world empires that have reigned over the people of the earth. And still others view that the seven heads are seven different ruling phases of the Roman Empire. And there are numerous theories about this. I favor the theory that the seven mountains refer to seven world empires that include Rome, but does not negate empires that had come before it. And we'll see this in verse 10. There also are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. So there's an interesting thing. In the Greek, what is translated as there are also seven kings, the there are, that third person plural present indicative could read they are seven kings. It could just plainly say they are seven kings. The seven mountains are seven kings. So that they are would refer back to the last verse, the seven mountains. These seven mountains referring to seven kings. The first five have fallen. Some believe five Roman emperors that had died in some gruesome ways. Julius Caesar was assassinated. Tiberius was poisoned. Caligula, easy for you to say, but not me. Stabbed to death, Claudius, smothered in his sleep, Nero, committing suicide. The one who is would represent uh, the sitting Roman emperor of John's day as Jesus is writing to John, one is. And we believe that the book of Revelation was written between 80, 90, or 95, and so historically this would be 
Domitian or Nerva and possibly even Trajan. I know I said that wrong, but uh, Roman emperors around the time that John would have wrote this book to us. And the other who has not yet come would represent that one world government, the Antichrist, uh, coming to the world. That's one theory, all surrounding Rome. Another theory, I, I kind of side with this. Five have fallen, speaking about world empires biblically that have passed, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greek. The one is, would speak of the Roman Empire, and the one who has not yet come, again, speaking of the Antichrist and that coming one world government. Others have proposed the city and its seven hills and its seven kings as connecting to different prophecies. There's one that is beautiful from Daniel chapter 2 when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a great image and Daniel would translate that dream for him. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 32 and 33, Daniel explains to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon saying the head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs and feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Now the legs and feet partly of iron, partly of clay. He's running through the different empires, the head referring to Babylon, uh, the chest and arms of silver referring to Persia, who conquered Babylon, and then the belly and thighs of bronze, referring to Greece, or Grecian Empire, and then the legs and iron, legs of iron, and the feet partly of iron and clay, referring to the Roman Empire. And Daniel explained about the fourth kingdom, the Roman Empire. The fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces, shatters everything like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it. Just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay, and its toes and feet were partly of iron, partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong, partly fragile, as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Daniel 2, verses 40 through 43. Daniel 2, teaching that four empires ruled over the earth, Babylon, the Medes, and the Persians, uh, as one empire, the Medes and the Persians ruled together. The Grecian Empire in Rome... At that time, two world empires had already passed, Egypt and Assyria, so five had fallen. So Daniel agreeing with the five that had fallen. The one is Rome, and the one is to come, the Antichrist and the one world government. Daniel 2.44 tells us of another kingdom that is coming, where he says, in those days, the king, the God of heaven, will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. The kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. So Daniel saying, in that day of the last empire, and that's that 
Bible prophecy believing that there's going to be a rise of the Roman Empire, this Roman connection in the last days, because of partly because of the prophecy of Daniel. In that day, the day of the kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. So in 8th King, verse 11, the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. So of the seven, seeming to have that connection with Rome, this beast, another king mentioned here, he's of the seventh, he's have this connection with the seventh, but he is the eighth, it says. In Daniel's vision of chapter 7 in the book of Daniel, I'm just going to summarize this for you. It's found in Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king over Babylon, he had a vision of four beasts coming out of the great sea, four kingdoms coming out of the great sea. A lion with eagle's wings represented Babylon, a bear raised up on one side with three ribs coming out of its mouth representing the Medo-Persian Empire, a leopard with four wings of a bird representing Greece, and the beast with iron teeth, once again representing Rome. And finally, the beast had ten horns with an eleventh horn that came up with eyes, it says, Daniel 7, 8, with eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking pompous words. And finally, once again, he speaks of another king coming, the final empire in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. One coming like the Son of Man and was given an everlasting dominion. And so in the Word of God, the book of Daniel in chapter 2 and chapter 7, we find that they give us world empires, but they kind of negate a lot of the history that we personally know in the last uh, 2,000 years that there has been this break during the church age, what some describe as the age of grace, where God is doing a work to bring salvation to the lost hearts in this world. During the age of grace, God has, in a sense, postponed His prophetic plan of the last days. But once that age of grace met its fulfillment, then the Lord will again turn his attention toward Israel, Jerusalem, and the events of the last days. Second Peter 3, 7 tells us, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. I'd also add ungodly angels. Judgment is coming one day. Verses 12 and 13 in Revelation 17 the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet. They receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. So that one hour, that time of the Antichrist, these are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So once again, connecting with Rome, the revived Roman Empire, we might call it, caused many to believe that it refers to political regions throughout this world. Some believe when the European Euro was set into place, initially they had 10 countries that signed an agreement, and then they grew beyond 10. Now, currently, in the last several years, countries have backed out of that agreement. They're shrinking. 
because they realize that this one world thing isn't working very well for them. But when that first took place, there were Bible prophecy guys that were saying, see, it's in Europe, the ten, the federation. Then they outgrew the number ten. Then it didn't fit in the Bible anymore. I have always had this sense of ten economic political regions divided up throughout the whole world. Could be easily done in our day and age. Even if there's one world government, who's going to watch over the whole world so easily to divide up ten economic and political and I would add even religious? Because in order for this to work well, you need to get rid of Bible-believing Christians because it won't fly with us. The Antichrist will come from one of these regions. As the little horn of Daniel, he will take control over the ten kings. And this is something that people are desiring. Here's a couple of quotes about New World Order. This uh, was written in 2018, in October of 2018, so just a few years ago. New World Order is a conspiracy theory which speaks about a new period of history bringing together a major change in the world with the balance of world power. This new world order is theorized by some to involve a group or groups of elitist people bent on ruling the world through a single worldwide system of government. The appeal of this new world order lies in its proposal to free the world of wars and political strife and its promises to eradicate poverty disease, and hunger. This purpose is to meet the needs and hopes of all mankind through worldwide peace. The hope of every beauty pageant queen. World peace. (laughs) Maybe it's a beauty pageant queen who will lead up this. So here we have written in June of 2021... A great deal of attention has been given to some of the ideas and vision of the WEF, that stands for the World Economic Forum. A powerful one became visible when WEF Public Relations released a video entitled Eight Predictions for the World in 2030, nine years from now. That amazed me, nine years from now. Its 2030 agenda offers a telling glimpse into what the elite has in store for the rest of us. It promotes the idea by the year 2030, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. I can tell you what, they try to take my house away. This will not be a happy man. The UN's 2030 agenda for sustainable development is a comprehensive plan that outlines how we can abolish poverty, transform the world into a peaceful, sustainable environment for all. How sweet. I also think China's not going to buy into this initially. If they are going to buy into it, why are they developing a supersonic rocket that can shoot around the world and it landed within 25 miles of its target? Just, uh, what, a week and a half ago? 
First Chronicles 12.32 tells us the sons of Ishishar had the understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And I believe this is what we should desire to be like, that we would know the word of God in such a way that in the last days we would know how we should conduct ourselves in order that we can know how we should live for Jesus in the last days. There's going to be a coming war. And so Revelation 17 and 18, talking about the rise of the beast and also 18, the destruction of the beast, it begins to unfold for us in the last few verses of Revelation 17, verses 14 through 18. We first learn of the Lamb and His followers in verse 14. These will make war with the Lamb. And so the ten kings, the Antichrist, the beast, will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. So the Antichrist government, he wars against Christ and His church. That shouldn't be surprising, right? Right now there is a war against the church of Jesus Christ in our, our world today. In parts of the world it's very horrific. We learned last week or two weeks ago of missionaries taken kidnapped in Haiti. And uh, I think as young as six months old, one of the children in that group of... I've read everywhere from 16 to 18. Keep that in your prayers. There is a war against the Lord's church today. But the Lord ultimately will be victorious. And it refers to His church as those who are called chosen, and faithful. Kletos is the Greek word for call. It means to be called, to have an invitation. Or Always in the New Testament, it refers to a divine call that's given to someone. It could be a divine call of salvation for anyone to come to faith in Jesus Christ, a divine call of the apostle to go forth. 2 Timothy 1.9, God who has saved us and called us with His holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His purpose and grace, which He has given us in Christ Jesus before time began. God who has called us and saved us. But also Paul saying in Romans 1.1, calling himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto God for the gospel. We're also the chosen Eklektos is the Greek word. It speaks about this being picked out uh, deliberately with thoughtful consideration is behind the Greek word. With thoughtful, deliberate consideration. Picking out or choosing. Being chosen by God. And it can refer to an unbeliever being chosen by God to become a believer in Jesus Christ. Referred to the Lord's church. It is also used in Luke 23.35 of Jesus being called and chosen by God, appointed by God. Uh, it's used of angels that were chosen by God, created by God to serve alongside Him according to 1 Timothy 5.21. But we are the chosen. Jesus said in John 15.16, You did not choose Me, but I chose you, appointed you, that you should go forth and bear fruits. In 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, it says, 
For you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who once had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. The Lord has called us. He has chosen us. And we are called the faithful. Pistos is the Greek word that means to believe, to confide in, to trust. Speaks of being faithful. Speaks of a person's faithfulness. And we can have faith in something that's good and something that's bad. And so it really depends on the value of the thing that we're putting our faith in. One time I heard a godly man that I used to work with, and I don't know what the situation was, but um, he told someone, he said, put your burdens on my shoulders. He goes, I got big shoulders, I can bear it. And sometimes we can be that for other people. Sometimes we can come alongside and help them through a difficult situation. Because of what the Lord has done in our lives, he's given us Big shoulders, ladies, I hope that this is not for you, but shoulders that can bear the weight of the responsibilities put on us. I just don't envision you as a linebacker, big shoulder thing, you know, for the ladies. Guys, I know that especially our youth as they're growing up, they want those big shoulders. But if we're able to bear such things for others, it's only because Jesus Christ has bore such things for us first. This type of faithfulness that we have must begin in the right person. We have to put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And once saved, we need to remain faithful. We need to understand, as the Word of God tells us in Hebrews 10.23, that we need to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful. We need to understand that Christ is faithful. He has promised. He is faithful. Yet even as Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2.13, even if we are faithless, He, Jesus Christ, remains faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and 24 says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and will also do it. If we are the faithful, it's only because Jesus Christ was faithful first and remains faithful, will be always faithful. The coup d'etat, verses 15 and 16. That's my best French for you. Verses 15 and 16 says, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, they will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. So the many waters that the John saw of the woman sitting on the beast now plainly tells us these many waters are peoples, multitude, nations, and tongues. So we can think of all the different nations in the world. Today, they classify 195, 196 nations 
on our earth. The ten horns representing the ten kings who will rule over what I believe these ten regions during the Antichrist one world government. Again, Revelation 17, 1 and 2. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to talk with me saying, Come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on the many waters with whom the kings of the earth commit fornications. The inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And it appears that the Antichrist and the ten kings will use the woman's false religious system to help solidify their reign upon the earth. But when they accomplish what they need from the woman, this false religious system, they will quickly lose favor with her and ultimately destroy her. That is the coup d'etat definition of this refers to a sudden, often violent overthrow of an existing government by a small group. Coup d'etat is typically an illegal, unconstitutional seizure of power. And this is what I connected it here. It's conducted by a dictator, guerrilla military force, or an opposing political faction, actually rising up from one's own government quite often. And that's why I titled this section with that word like in modern-day politics, where a person or party might make alliances to gain power, and then after securing their position, they will not only break with their past alliances, but often destroy those whom they had made alliances with. Like what happened in Judah, the tribe of Judah in Jeremiah's day, prophesying to Judah. Jeremiah 4.30 says, And when you are plundered, what will you do? Though you clothe yourself with crimson, though you adored yourself with ornaments of gold, though you enlarge your eyes with paint, in vain you will make yourself fair. Your lovers will despise you. They will seek your life. Your lovers, those whom Judah in the last days attached themselves to, false gods, false religion, nations that um, instead of relying upon the Lord God who watches over the nation of Israel, they allied themselves with pagan nations. And God said to them, your lovers will despise you and they will seek your life. So God puts it in their mind, verse 17, into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, to give their kingdoms to the beast and their words of God, that the words of God would be fulfilled. And this shows us that God is really in control. God will put it into their mind. God moves the heart of mankind. Proverbs 21.1, Dave Zhu, our keyboard player, worship leader, often refers to this in prayer. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it in whatever way he wishes. God will see that his counsel will stand. He said this in Isaiah 46.10, my counsel will stand and I will do all my pleasure. Again, in Isaiah 46.11, he says, indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass and I have purposed it and I will also do it. So verse 18, that great city, the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. That great city, I believe, 
the city of Babylon. Some connect this to the city of Jerusalem when it's in total decline against away from the Lord. And to tell you the truth right now, Jerusalem, Israel, is a very secular society. They may have the name Israel, and Israel meaning those who are governed by God, but they are a very secular society to this day. So the woman, I believe that great city Babylon, that right now is in ruins. So what God is going to do with this, he can do it. That great city which reigns over the kings of the earth, he connects the woman to the city. The world itself, they were deceived because of her beautiful raiment. She had scarlet and purple, gold, precious stones and pearls. And they were deceived because of this. Babylon, from God's perspective, is not a city that is arrayed in scarlet and purple and gold and precious stones and pearls, but Babylon, from the heavenly perspective, Babylon is seen as a fornicator. She is found in a wilderness. She's blasphemous, full of abominations and filthiness. And in the end, she will go into destruction. As the beast, Satan, as well as those who follow him. And the Bible tells us only those who have faith in Jesus Christ will overcome. In this chapter that had a lot to do with the last day prophecies of things yet to come. We have this beautiful verse that's found in the the process of this prophecy, speaking about the believers in Jesus Christ, of those who are called, chosen, and faithful. Today I would like to challenge you, if you're feeling the call of God upon your life today, if you've never gave your heart to Jesus Christ, I would challenge you to do so this day. Let's go ahead and stand together. Here at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa, we have a church motto of believe, receive, grow, and go. And I would like to take us through this church motto right now. The believe refers to the necessity of believing that God is. And so our first verse we say together, Hebrews 11:6. But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6 So those who come to God must first believe that he is. Second, we have to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. We say together, Romans 5.17 For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Romans 5.17, those who receive, it's necessary to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of our life. Once saved, we have to grow in our faith. We say together, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Second Peter 3.18 And I would encourage you to continually grow in your faith, especially in the last days that we find ourselves in. 
And finally, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to go. We say together, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. The worship team as they come. I'm going to close this out in prayer. If you have questions regarding faith, please email those questions to us at cclv at comcast.net. Of course, if you're here, please speak with myself or with Pastor Kevin or other brothers and sisters with us. Also, if you'd like to support our ministry, you can find out that information if you're listening on radio or through social media at cclv.org. I'm going to close out in prayer now, but um, the worship team is going to close out in this last song. I will be down front for anyone who has a prayer need. I would love to pray with you this day. So, Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, a prophecy looking toward the last days. And we find, Lord, in the day and age that we live in, there are those who are planning things uh, in this earth that go against all the things that we've known prior. China is building weapons of mass destruction. And very soon we'll have um, aircraft carrier capabilities that will match what Japan had when they went to war with the world. We wonder, Lord, what this nation is up to. We wonder what their true desire is. We have other elites, Lord, in the world that want to bring everyone under this one ruling authority. The Bible prophesied about it, and we find that our world is not reading the Bible but they are having thoughts in this way. Lord, if they have those thoughts we learn in Scripture today, it's because you put those thoughts in their minds, that they would accomplish your word. So help us, Lord, to be followers of Christ, like the sons of Ishishar, who have an understanding of the time that we would know what we ought to do in these days that you have set us in. Pray, Father, if anyone has a prayer need, that they would lift up that need to you, even this hour. If they desire to pray with me, Lord, may they have courage to do so. Bless us now, Lord, as we worship in this last song. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.